Join us throughout the entire month of April as we celebrate 35 years of wishes at Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley. This week, we chat with former president and CEO, Jane Sherman. In addition to helping grow our chapter in the late 90s to the early 2000s, Jane was instrumental in moving our chapter from Mount Kisco, New York, to Tarrytown, where our wish house is located. Here is Jane Sherman. Jane, welcome to the Wish House Podcast. How are you? I'm terrific. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, listen, I've been waiting for this interview since I started working at Make-A-Wish in 2007. Uh, because your name kept on popping up all the time through our conversations I had with Denise, conversations I had with volunteers who were around when you were also still with the chapter. Uh, so it's how does it feel to to know that you're part of our chapter history? We're celebrating 35 years at Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley. And when I was talking with Denise recently for her podcast, she mentioned how when she started back in 1998, there were only three paid staff members, you, her, and one other person. So... <laughs> And look where we are now. This is crazy. I know. know. So Denise came in right out of college, I think. And look at Denise now. (laughs) 23 years in with the chapter. She's phenomenal. Does it feel like she's been around for 23 years? I mean. Well, she looks exactly the same. That's true. She doesn't age, the beautiful (laughs) young woman that she is. No, she's terrific. And and, um, there were three of us. At one point, there were two, and, right. and it was Denise and me. But we'd grown together, and then we moved, you know, down to Terrytown from the uh, Mount Kisco office. And so then it felt like we really bloomed once we got down into the to the Wish House. Yeah, and I and we wouldn't be the Wish House podcast if it were not for the Wish House, which you were instrumental in getting us to right. that location in Terrytown. But before we get into that, I have a quick question for okay. you, which is. How did you first hear about Make-A-Wish? How did you first kind of delve into this world of nonprofit and um, and kind of help steer our chapter for the years that you were with us? Well, I, of course, I'd heard of Make-A-Wish um, Foundation nationally for years before I was aware of Hudson Valley. And I, I was in television for 10 years and I left to get involved in the nonprofit world. I built a community center in Nyack and then I was working um, the Nyack Center in Nyack. I founded that and got it off the ground. And then I was working for the mayor in uh, Nyack when I heard about this job. But while I was working for the mayor, I took part in a two-year program in Allendale, New Jersey, for um, community involvement, enrichment, leadership. And I met Sharon Hodney there. Wow. And we became very good friends. And that's how I learned that there was a, actually a Hudson Valley chapter. She and I hit it off from the first minute we met. And so, of course, in the process of that uh, work, which was a a psychologically based uh, two-year study, we shared a lot about ourselves. And so I heard a lot about Sharon and Aaron and their experience uh, with with Hudson Valley. So that when I think I saw an ad in the paper for the position and Sharon Forbes was the uh, chair of the board and I interviewed and uh, got the job. Unbelievable. You're right. Yes. So you started with the chapter in April of 1998. Oh, you're good. I didn't remember that. (laughs) That's what I'm here for, Jane. I'm here to bring out all the stats. All the facts. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting because our chapter anniversary is April 3rd. 
And so oh. I'm curious when, you know, it must have been right before, right after the anniversary of our chapter at that point, 1998, um, which is pretty cool. And you served on our as our president and CEO all the way through 2004, which is right before Tom uh, succeeded you, Tom, you know, in, in his Tom role. Right after me, right. So. And, and you also helped bring Tom onto the board, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Well, a lot of my work there was board development. Got it. That was a lot of what I was tasked to do. So it was very engaging, very challenging, and very productive because we have such great people. One of the things that the national organization provided was a lot of education and leadership and encouragement to those of us in our in our individual chapters to grow our boards. And you moving from a founding board, you know, to a more engaged board and then eventually to a fundraising and professional board. And when I came on, Make-A-Wish was very young and it still had a founding board. Mm. Very dedicated people. They loved Make-A-Wish. And in some ways it was um, a challenging time because it was time to move them from being micromanagers of all the staff, which is very typical and the way it is, to a different level of work for the board. Sharon Forbes was fantastic. She understood this and worked really hard with her board members to um, help open their eyes. We brought in the national, we brought people from the national office in for board um, retreats and stuff. And then one of the people we brought on who was very key, um, I would want to give credit here, is Maria Rigo. And she came from the finance world and she'd done a lot of work. She understood nonprofit organizations very well and she became our treasurer. And she really began from on the board to push them to understand what the ethics were and what their job was should be. And it slowly began, she began to make great progress. And so we were able to bring on some new people who understood that growth. It was an evolution. Um, and we brought in Ken Mahoney. And Ken was, um, Ken and Marie worked together very well. And then Ken and I worked very well. And the interesting thing for the person in my position was it's the job of the CEO or the director or president or whatever we were called to develop the board. But the board is my boss. Right. So it was a very interesting. Um, work to do and but it was extremely gratifying though it was hard and we you know Marie and Ken um, work with me we needed to bring on people who had already demonstrated commitment to the to the um, organization through fundraising we brought on John Crabtree Robert Fuhr we brought on um, David Simpkins and I'll tell you his story in a little while these were all people who had been very generous with Make-A-Wish and they were very happy to become board members. So we were able to really evolve and grow. Tom came on and when I left, I just wept because that was the dream board. <laughs> it finally gotten there. <laughs> it's unbelievable because when you think about it, I mean, for our listeners, just so you're aware, you know, some of the names you mentioned, Ken Mahoney, Bob Fuhrer, you know, John Crabtree, these are people that 
are still very involved with our chapter. Both Ken exactly. and Bob are, are are serving another term on, on our board currently. Right. And, and John Crabtree supports our chapter in so many different ways throughout the year. He hosts us for staff outings, for staff lunches, holiday lunches. And he also, you know, for many, many years, hosted us for our donor dinners at a Crabtree's Kiddo right. House over in Chappaqua. So, I mean- In my years, it was just, it was, it was sensational. And then we brought on Brian, um, um, Brian McGrath, we wanted a wish parent on right. and medical person. So we brought on Claudio Sandoval. So we were trying to enrich the board with, and this, a lot of this was coming from national who was helping us understand what we needed to do. So I, I was very grateful for the education I got from the national board. Paula Van Ness was the CEO in those days. She was um, a terrific leader. She also led the organization to change the the uh, mission language. Do you know about that? Of course, yeah. Our mission yeah. language changing from terminal to you know life threatening. I'm guessing at that time was the change. They had some they had some scary language in there, yes. and it and she changed it. And so, I mean, she led the movement to change it, which was not easy. Um, it's hard. It's hard bringing change and evolving when people are used to things a certain way. Right. right. So it was a it was kind of a wonderful time to be, you know, involved. You know, it's 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 wild because you're talking about a time in the late 90s, early 2000s where we're having brand realignment, we're having a brand change with our mission statement, our our logo change from a wishbone to what, you know, typically, you know, people can't see it on the on the podcast right now but what our make wish logo is which is you know the the font type with the swirl you know the, the version of it that it was back then um i recall when you know my wish was granted in 1999 which was during the time you were ceo at the chapter and it was a, it was i still have my wishbone shirt um, and it's sitting in my closet. It's one of my most treasured possessions and I will never get rid of it. You know, it's interesting because they asked me, you know, what size I would want to wear back then. And I was definitely like a medium, you know, for sure. For some reason I said, I want an extra large. Cause I, I guess that was a style back then. Everything was yeah. worn bigger. Yeah. It actually, sadly, it fits me well now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've grown into the shirt, you know, right. even though it's not on brand, but it still is a shirt that I, I again, I treasure as a keepsake and, it's just amazing. Uh, again, the names you're mentioning, truly, you know, salt of the earth people, people that are still involved with our chapter in some form or fashion. And and you really helped get them started in that process and that connection to make, which was just, you know, on behalf of everyone at our chapter, we're so thankful and so appreciative of, of the work that you put in back then um, well, to really build you. us to where we are. It was always teamwork. I, I have to tell you the story about David Simpkins, though. Yes, please. So we um, we got these. Um, Donation. We got a donation one year, very nice size donation from David Simpkins, and we nobody knew him, but he had um, he had a cell phone company, uh, a telecommunications kind of company, right? That's right. But the but the donation was a big stack of checks from all kinds of different people, all different amounts. Mm. This was great, and I called him to thank him, and he. Um, was very modest and said, oh no, this is for my employees. This is, I said, well, great. Then the next year it happened again. I said, I gotta go meet this guy. I think Ken and I went over to meet him. And what he did was he paid for a snowmobile event in Northern Canada. He paid for it. But all of those who went on it were asked to make a donation to Make-A-Wish. 
Wow. So that was, I thought that was wonderful. They all got the tax deduction. Sure. He paid for the trip. So he was a very, very devoted person to the, to the um, organization. Of course, Robert Fuhr started doing a, um, golf tournaments to celebrate his birthday. I mean, these are phenomenal people. <laughs> right. And, and and a lot of these events have evolved over the years. I mean, you know, like with Bob, I mean, he went from those golf outings he used to, you know, host to then, you know, not only serving on our board, but then he also hosts, you know, different tournaments because uh, he's a, he's a, he's in the toy business, right. uh, which is pretty cool. If you guys are familiar with the crocodile, that's like a dentist yep. that you have to like, you know, he kind of snaps <laughs> at you if you, you know, don't get to it quick enough. He, his team and his company helped invent that game, which is pretty cool. Um, and there's a lot of other, you know, crossword puzzle tournaments that he he helps host for us it's it's really an um like i said i mean these are these are people in our community that we want to highlight we want to share these stories as and that's why we created this podcast and this and we have this platform to do that because these are the people behind the scenes that are that not everyone knows um that is supporting us and we want people to know who they are especially during our 35th anniversary year where we would not be where we are had it not been for all these people that not only served our, our community back then when they were on the board, but for many of them are still serving us in different forms. Right. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Robert Fuhr worked magic in getting Bill Clinton to one of our golf outings. I've it's- seen photos of that in our archives, and I always wondered, how did that happen? Robert Fuhr. <laughs> unbelievable. Robert and Judy. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because with with John Crabtree, you know, he's in Chappaqua with Bill and Hillary right down you know, the block from them. They tend to frequent his restaurant a lot. Um, and I know that also has helped cultivate that relationship over the years, too. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Um, so I have another. So is it, this is great. I mean, going down memory lane with you is, you know, something that I'm you're reliving it and I'm living it for the first time, because a lot of these stories I've either heard in passing I've heard bits and pieces of it, but to hear it from you who was there when you when it happened is extremely special for, for myself. And I'm sure for all of our listeners, you know, some of them may even know who you are. They probably were volunteers during the time that you were with the chapter. You know, how was it working with our volunteer base and our community partners, you know, during that time? I, I think the whole thing that I love most about Make-A-Wish were all the re- relationships. And there yes. were so many groups of people with whom uh, there was an opportunity to work and to play. And certainly the volunteers were amazing. All kinds of people from all over the region, of course, who made everything work. I mean, they were the, they were the wish volunteers. They were the fundraising volunteers. They were volunteers who came into the office who were close by. There were so many volunteers who basically were cheerleaders for the staff. Yeah, they would come in and bring food. Liz Seltzer lived down the street, and she was in and out of there all the time. People helped uh, with everything. I mean, the Wish volunteers. Denise, <laughs> Denise, and I worked really hard on trainings. I feel like we were revamping a training every month. Well, what? How can we do it better to right. try to build creativity in uh, um, an inquiring, imaginative process for the volunteers? So it wasn't just find an item, get an item, create an imaginative wish. Um, There were people who, like Amy Massaro was coming in all the time to help with with all kinds of uh, fundraisers. And when we got to the gala, um, you know, Jackie Ross took pictures. Phyllis um, Garfinkel. Oh, Garfinkel. She's just amazing. 
I mean, I could list lots of names. I don't want to leave anybody out. There were nope. just many. But, Vicky and Debbie Wolf. Debbie Vicky Wolf. Vicky and Debbie Wolf, yes. They started a whole thing up in their county. They We had so wanted to work with the Culinary Institute, and they did it on their own. And yeah. then it grew and grew and grew. I imagine, I don't know if it's still going. Yeah, Vicki Birdoff, I believe, is her Vicky name. Vicki Birdoff and, and, Debbie, and Wolf. Debbie Wolf. Right. They were, they had, it was their own initiative. And of course, then there's um, Tony and his wife, Fran Cardone. Out of Orange County. Up in Orange County, who started a, a Christmas party and then it grew and grew. And he was on the board. Is he still on the board? I don't know. He's, he's not on the board currently, but he still helps us tremendously in Orange County, building our presence there. Because, you know, even just recently during the beginnings of our of the pandemic, unfortunately, from last year, you know, we did grant an open air outdoor shopping spree at Woodbury Commons. And he was oh. instrumental in connecting us to the right person contact on site at Woodbury. So he's still very involved. Yeah. He was actually a guest on our podcast as well. Um, and so was some of the others that you've mentioned, like Sharon, Hodney, along with Aaron O'Brien. I mean, these are people that are, um, again, part of the fabric of our chapter right. history, which is the great. That <laughs> they are family. And it's true what you're saying with regards to, you know, it's all about relationship building, you know, which in a lot of ways is kind of the mantra for development in a lot of ways, but this goes, it, it's, it's beyond that. This is, you know, people in the community that want to do good in their backyard. And a great way to do that is through make wish Hudson Valley. And, and then they build these connections amongst each other networks that they start building. And then it creates this amazing um, plethora of, of giving, you know, and of kindness. And I think that's one of the unique things I feel is like our, I always talk, call, call it our special sauce at our chapter is exactly that are the people that we have. And because we're small enough that we get to know every single donor, every single volunteer, we know them well, we know their name, we know their families. Stay I think in touch with them. there's interaction, right? Exactly. And, and, and you grow with each other over the years. Like even just my time at make wish, I started off as a single man and I've been married. I have two kids. The volunteers <laughs> have all been part of these amazing you know, right. moments in my life. I mean, even during wish ball, you talk about the galas, the wish, uh, wish ball, what we call right. it now, like, I was I was expecting both of my kids during wish balls. It was extremely nerve wracking. And <laughs> I had to have like a plan B, you know, to let the volunteers know, like, look, I might have to jet out of here. My wife goes into into, into you know labor. Um, but, you know, that's the but this is what our chapter is about is creating these amazing memories with members of our community that, all, you know, together, you know, we're, we're also helping our wish kids that are going through a difficult time and these families that need some strength. Um, during the lowest point that they may be going through in their lives, and it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty powerful stuff that that were that you helped with. Well, we all helped with, and I yeah. think I think it is the sense of the thread of connection among all the volunteers, people from all walks of life, different communities. The common value was an appreciation for the effort to touch the lives of vulnerable children. And so it, you began you began to have a common uh, value that you shared, even though you may be different in a hundred other ways. And that was not just with the volunteers, but with the donors and with the people who would step up to help make a wish happen. I mean, I was thinking of, as before we talked about the number of times that a that a police department rolled out their their troops during the workday. To yeah. make up a, a wish very special, or the firemen who I remember helping build uh, gyms and backyard sets, and creates a community around a very unique situation 
that connects everybody in a way that that transforms the community into a larger network of caring people. And they sh- we all share that. Even though I might not have seen that backyard um, installation, I was part of it. And you know you're part of it. It's a very um, wonderful aspect of what Make-A-Wish does. That's beautiful. And, and another cool thing that really helped transform our community was Bagel Day, which was something that, <laughs> you know, you also oversaw during your tenure at, <laughs> at the chapter, oh, right? The stations. <laughs> I know. So for our listeners, just to give you some... <laughs> For our listeners, just to give you some background on what Bagel Day is. So back, so we actually spoke with Danny Lieberman, who was one of the co-founders yes. of our chapter back yes. then. And he was the one that, you know, along with the founding members of our board, which were the first volunteers at our chapter, um, you know, he he talked at, in depth about Bagel Day and how, you know, what Bagel Day was, was an opportunity for us to connect with local bakeries. They provided all these amazing bagels. Um, we would go to the, we would have volunteers show, go to all the different Metro North stations in our territory with, you know, handing out a bagel along with a, a newsletter. But we still kept the name Bagel Day, but we would give out a newsletter along with a keychain or something, some other yeah. promotional right. item. Right. Exactly. Right. And um, and it was just, it's just, oh, uh, we transformed the community by adding a few pounds, probably from all the bagels we gave them. Um, but at the same time. Commuters, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and the great thing about Bagel Day was that it allowed us to go into the community, you know, connect with people that normally we may not connect with because we're getting them early on before they go into the office or right when they're coming home afterwards. Um, and we were able to give them a newsletter, which they maybe held on to for the ride. They, they, they're, they're riding for an hour down to the city and they were able to then read this newsletter on the, on the whole ride. And, and from that, we got Darlene Rodriguez, who's one of our you know biggest supporters for the chapter because someone that she knows received a newsletter during Bagel Day, gave it to her and says, hey, this is a local charity. You know, I know you want to get involved locally. This is something. And then she reached out to us and she's been part of our wishbowl since I could remember, since at least 2006, if not before that. So it's just one of those amazing things that something very simple, a simple idea can turn into something beautiful is the same way our organization started back in 1980 for with Chris's wish, um, which was a very simple wish to be a police officer, touched, you know, the people that were involved with that wish, and ultimately created this wish granting organization that's been around for 40 plus years, you know, we're getting close to World Wish Day, which is going to be taking place on April 29th. And, you know, your episode actually should be um, released somewhere around that time. So, I mean, how was it for you kind of hearing Chris's story for the first time? And kind of how did you keep his legacy alive locally here at our chapter with Make-A-Wish? Well, his mother came for one thing, mm-hmm. she came and visited and, and spoke. And, um, you know, we went, one of the great things I've mentioned about the national organization is their um, national events. So Denise and others of us went out, Tom went once before he was chair, I mean, before he was CEO. Um, and, you know, we would, we would hear the stories, not only of uh, the Chris Gracious story, but stories from chapters all over the country and bring those back. That inspired us. We could come back and inspire our volunteers on things that that they can do and how they can listen with new ears to do things. So I think it is what I was saying before. It's the response. It's the response to a, to a vulnerability. You know, it's, it's a, 
what can I do? It's not just the child, but it's the whole family that's touched when there is this challenge of illness. And um, to be able to give them refreshment and rest and delight and fun is a major thing. I think none of us really understand you better than most because you've been a wish child, that none of us can presume to know what the impact of a wish is. And so the responsibility is huge to make it as full and imaginative and personal as can be developed. And I think that's one thing we really worked hard on is trying to do imaginative things. You know, it's, and it's interesting because you're, you, it rings true even still today during a time where we've had a pivot as an organization for a year, you know, where we went from in-person wish child visits to then it completely, completely being virtually based, wow. um, you know, and then we had to retrain on the go all of our volunteers that are meeting with those wish kids to conduct visits virtually via Zoom. And yet still wishes never stopped happening. We still continue to grant wishes by being creative, by thinking on our toes and, you know, and it just, just, just doing what we could to ensure that, like you said, children had a full and transformative experience um, during this time. No matter, even if we couldn't have large group gatherings or we couldn't grant travel related wishes, but we were still able to grant them, you know, special wishes that they can have as a a memory forever, which is pretty amazing. Um, I wanna go back to something you mentioned earlier. So we talked about, you know, the transition from Mount Kisco um, in the office there um, to then transitioning to the Wish House, which is the namesake of this podcast. when you guys looked at locations, you know, what kind of narrowed it down to Tarrytown? I mean, I think I know the reasoning, but our listeners might not know why we chose as an as a chapter to relocate from Mount Kisco, New York to Tarrytown, New York. Well, we were up in Mount Kisco and, and I traveled from across the river in, um, I think it was Paramount at the time. And it was quite a circuitous route to get to the office in in Mount Kisco. And we knew we needed larger space. We'd outgrown our office there on um, Bedford Road. So we asked uh, the real estate person we're working with to look in the Terrytown area because of the bridge. So we, the counties on the west side of the, um, of the river could get to us easily, more more easily. And we also would then be able to um, see others. We wanted a place where people could gather, where we could do things, have events, um, and have wish families come and and use it. So we looked at a number of spaces, but I'm telling you, I kept saying, no, it's too sterile. No, it's too industrial. When this person, when the real estate took me to the wish house, I was turning cartwheels around the building. I mean, this is it. <laughs> yeah. It's our brand identity. Our local identity is the wish house. When people think of Make-A-Wish House in Valley, they automatically think of our wish house, which is why we named our podcast the Wish House Podcast. Because one of the first things we would do when people come to the wish house is, welcome to the wish house. And so it made sense to call our podcast that for, you know, right. so it's, it's really thanks to you and to the leadership at that time that you know, had the foresight of, of bringing us to Tarrytown, which is such a central location for the for all the reasons you just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, sure, and, right. and another great thing about it also is that we were so we're also very close to Maria Ferrari Children's Hospital, which is one yeah. of the, it's the biggest referral source that we have in all of our territory. So to be only a 15, 20 minute drive away from them, that was like a, also kind of sealed the deal, I guess. Exactly. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and, and and because we moved, you know, during a very unique period of time in history, when we moved, we moved in 2001. It was the summer right before 
September 11th. So how was that whole transition, you know, going from Mount Kisco to then Tarrytown, and then you have this global event, similar in a weird way to what we're going through now with this global pandemic that we're dealing with, where a lot of the funds that normally would have been coming to our chapter, to our organization, were going to relief efforts, you know, for 9-11 and what we're dealing with now, a lot of the, you know, essential workers that need help and, and other families that need help. So, you know, how was it kind of navigating those murky waters during that period well, of time? The day of the event, the day of 9-11, mm-hmm. I was up at the, at uh, picking up a, a check from two donors who had had an event at the mall in Rockland County. I picked up the check and I drove home to pick something else up and heard on the radio that this. So between the time I saw that and I got into the office, everybody was devastated. Of course. Yeah. And guess what was happening? An audit. National had sent the auditor there. Hmm. So, and we had two days, period. And then he went somewhere else. So I made everybody stay till about 1.30 and they were mad at me. <laughs> anyway, we, we, we hung in for a few hours and then everybody went home and then we regrouped. You know, I think what we did, I don't remember in a lot of detail, but I think what we did was really focus on what was um, good about the chapter, the, you know, what we could do. We didn't try to do a lot of fundraising at that point, just tried to lift up the appreciation for volunteers and, for the work that we could get done. And we just, we just held on and waited for a while. It wasn't the right time right. to do, to try to raise money that we could, you know, we continued on with all the work we needed to do. And it's very similar in what we're dealing with now with the pandemic, you know, where, you know, you can't go out, you're afraid to go out, you know, uh, before it was because you were afraid of a terrorist attack. Now you're afraid of a virus you can't even see. Um, and it's extremely scary, not only for, for us as community members, but obviously for our wish families who have children who are that are immunocompromised and can't be in these environments where they potentially could get sick because a, a very simple thing could turn bad very quickly. So, you know, it's one of the things we've been very cautious on, you know, making sure that we continue with virtual uh, visits for now um, and for the foreseeable future. You know, we have all these different things that we've lined up, tools and resources to support volunteers during this period of time. And I share these things just so that our listeners know that, you know, these are things that are happening behind the scenes and it's constantly evolving. You talked about how much has evolved at the chapter since when you were last there, you know, from three staff members to now we have 11 staff members, um, almost triple the amount of staff. Um, and we will continue to evolve and grow as a chapter for the next 35, 45, you know, 55 years. And, and, and yet here we are, the result of a community coming together in the midst of turmoil for families and providing them with strength and hope. And I think that's one of those things that we can really um, be thankful for as, as a chapter that we have great supporters around us, right? Right. Well, yeah. one thing I would like to just commend you and, and your fellow staff members, you um, provide the magnet for the volunteers. The mission is one thing, but I think the volunteers respond to those of you who are the leaders in the, in the organization. So congratulations to you and to Tom and to Denise and and all the others for the work you're doing that, you know, that makes people want to work with you and want to step up and 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 be with you in, in uh, making these things happen. So well That's done. A, 
Thank you so much. And we're so thankful um, to celebrate. You know, this is a time to be excited, to, to celebrate all the amazing work we've done. We've touched the lives of more than 2,900 children at our chapter. We're on the route. We're very close to hitting 3,000. And we're hopeful that we'll hit it during our anniversary year, which will be fantastic. Speaking on wishes, do you recall any particular wishes that kind of stand out during your time with the chapter? You know, most of my direct work was with staff, board, national, but several wishes certainly do stand out. One of them, um, when I first came to the chapter, there was a little girl named Chloe, Chloe Rand, and she was a really special little girl. She was the oldest in the family of several children, and her wish was, it was a Disney wish, but it was a complicated one because she had a very heavy wheelchair and it wasn't going to happen that she could be in the parade. And it's just the way Disney responded to her. In some ways, it was a simple wish like so many others, but just knowing this family and this little girl and her mother became a real supporter of the chapter and spoke on many occasions. And she just had this, this face of, 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 of light. So Chloe always is close to my heart. I also remember one, the wish of the little girl was, I want to ride a bike where the wind blows in my hair. Hmm. But she couldn't ride a bike. Her family rode bikes all the time. And so the wish granters found a way with the chapter. They found someone who construct a three-wheeled bike. They created it and put her seat in the front, not behind her dad, but in the front with all the special needs that she had so that her hair would blow in the wind. I mean, I think it's those picking up on those phrases that the wish granters can make all the difference. And not just, I want to write, I want the wind to blow in my hair. I want to tell you a, a, a Sharon story. Sharon, oh, nice. story, which helped me when I came to Make-A-Wish. This was, you know, two years later, I'm at Make-A-Wish. But this story stayed with me so that I, would, I tried with, Denise and I tried, to invite people to go into the situation and see wasn't what wasn't obvious and hear what wasn't said to try to find something unique about that child that they could include in the wish. Sharon told me that when Erin was granted her wish, they were exhausted. They were at the end of a lot of treatments and they were fine. Yes, let's go to Disney. That'll be fine. I mean, they just weren't, they couldn't have energy around this. They just we're grateful. Of course, Erin was excited <laughs> that she and Glenn, you know, got in the limo. They went. They were welcomed. It was lovely. You know, Sharon, she's so warm and lovely, but she was just burned out. And they went in. I guess it was a Give Kids the World or an right. equivalent of that. And they went in. It was stocked. And she's looking around. Oh, this is lovely. This is nice. And then she opened the refrigerator. In the freezer, there was a whole stack of creamsicles. And she said her knees buckled because how did they know that was Erin's favorite ice cream? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's creamsicles, but that's what I remember her saying. Creamsicle popsicle sticks. You're absolutely right. And to me, that's the magic of the wish. If you can find the thing that the kid says, how did they know? They see me. They don't see the other stuff. They see me. Right. And so I have, uh, I love Sharon. We're still good buddies. Um, but I love that teaching that I learned from her about the wishes. So I think it is that when you can find that, I remember my son was involved in one of the wishes. One of the kids wanted a, wanted a um, home 
uh, music studio, which had been Caleb's life. We were forever buying equipment for him. And so Caleb knew Sam Ash and helped get all the equipment. So it was people like Sam Ash did on the city who gave major discounts to Make-A-Wish. I mean, it, it, the donors in the furniture stores for the, for the makeovers. And, you know, it's, it's that network of connection that makes it such a unique um, thing. So there are a lot of wishes that are, oh, I will remember one more. Denise and I, um, we got our first wish from the, an Orthodox family in Rockland. And so Denise and I went together for that wish. And this, uh, they had a big family and it was the oldest child who was the wish child. His grand, one set of grandparents lived there in Rockland. They were very close. So his wish was to go see his other grandparents in Phoenix and also go see the Grand Canyon. And so we came back and worked on it. It was quite complicated because it was a big group. They had to have kosher food. So we put this all together. It was fantastic. And I took them to the airport. Um, that was before 9-11, I guess, because I went through the gate with them all the way down and waited. And so when they asked the families, you know, with children to load there, they went on, this great big family. And the grandmother took, the grandmother who lived in Rockland, came off the plane and threw her arms around me. And she said, you will never know what this means, not only to this family, but to the grandparents in Phoenix. I mean, it's just, it was a big, huge amount of hoopla to pull together. And then it was just this tender moment of gratitude that, you know, you just, as I say, you never know how um, touched the family is going to be. So to be a part of that is always a privilege and, and, a, and a gift. Wow. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Man, yeah. that's amazing. Right all the way home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure some of our listeners are probably tearing up listening <laughs> to that story as well. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, you you are you were such a important part of our of our chapter well, um, and, and also our history as we evolved and grew. Uh, well, this has been great, Jane. And, and I have to say, you know, we have another segment of our of our podcast. It's called the Shooting Star segment, which is a series of questions where you oh. say the first thing that comes to mind. So okay. are you willing to play this game? Of course. All right. So out of all the memories you have with Make Wish Hudson Valley, what would you say is your favorite one? Oh my goodness. You know, there are a thousand pictures going through my mind. I, I, I think I'm going to have to say staff, working with staff. And uh, Bruno, oh, my goodness. I mean. Bruno I, was I, one of a kind. He was spectacular. Bruno, we were all women at the time he came. And when he interviewed for his job, um, he told me he had worked in a, with nuns. And he had worked with a women's issues group. I said, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. And he got us and he was just so, you know, it was Allie Bracken and Allie Curtis and, you know, Susan Palmer. We had a wonderful group and we were planning all the time. So, you know, the wishes were wonderful and the board meetings were grew to be wonderful. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think it's the staff. Every day I love to go to work. Yes. I mean, there's no better place to to spend your time um, than at Make-A-Wish. Right. Yeah, True. it's amazing. So I got another question for you, Jane. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to someone in the community who is interested in volunteering with 
Make-A-Wish or is looking to donate to Make-A-Wish, what would you tell them to encourage them to give of their time or of their resources? First of all, I tell them to go to the Wish House and to talk to the staff because anybody who's going to volunteer or wants to donate has got to find the thing in themselves that is met by whatever it is you have to offer. If somebody wants to donate money, what kind of things do they care about? You know, some people may want to donate for certain kinds of wishes or to underwrite um, salaries. Just you want to learn. So it's a staff challenge too. I would encourage them to go to the Wish House. It is such a beautiful place. Talk to Denise about wishes. Talk to Tom about the overall thing. Talk to you. And then you find a way to learn what they care about and see how you can link them up with a place at the table. That's that's perfect. Um, and I guess the next question I have for you is, if you could have a wish, what would it be? And to remind our listeners, we have five formal wish categories. We have to go, to meet, to have, to be, and to give. So out of those five formal wish categories, Jane, which one would you want to have? My son and his fiance now wife took me and had my, I went and swam with the dolphins. Hey, that's awesome. It was awesome. I'd always said, I would love to swim with the dolphins. And one Christmas, I got that package. So your wish was granted. (laughs) My wish was granted. That's awesome. Brendan Sherman. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for, to your son, for granting, helping grant your wish. That's awesome. Um, The next question I have for you is, uh, actually, before I ask you this last question, I have another request. So, you know, obviously, this is our 35th anniversary year. We're asking all of our podcast guests to send out a message to the to our community, to our, our volunteers, our supporters in celebrating the 35 years. So if you have any words to say, anything to share to our supporters, what would you tell them about our 35th anniversary year? Well, I thought of something that I didn't say that I would like to include in this. Yes. And that is one of the great things about working um, as a chapter leader with the national organization is the focus on integrity around the finances, around everything about Make-A-Wish because your reputation is all you have in an organization like Make-A-Wish. So I would say to donors, it is a fine place to, to send your money. It will be used as you want it to be used. Donor integrity, you know, donor mm-hmm. intent. I would say that it's a place where you will meet other people who care about many things you care about, though you may not know them, they may not be your neighbor. It's a place to build, it's a place to um, participate in a community of people, community of people who um, are having fun and doing good work. And there are great people involved with Make-A-Wish. So you'll make connections that enrich your life in other ways. And even if you don't meet a wish child, you're contributing to making dreams come true, not only for that child, but for their family in a way that is restorative and refreshing and may impact their family for the rest of all of their lives. So I think it's a great um, center place in the community to um, be, be engaged and be involved. And I guess the last question I have for you, Jane, is in one word, how would you describe Make-A-Wish? I have a funny word. <laughs> I like that. You told me you were going to ask this word and I couldn't come up with one. I thought, you know, there's there's joy, empathy, delight, magic, all of that. And I think it's alchemy. 
Mm. The word is alchemy because it really is, it is, it is all of those things. Reciprocity, there's generosity, there's um, love and care and all of that, but it all comes together in different ways that can be transformative for people in who participate in it. So I think that's my word. I couldn't say one, so I had to figure out a word that would hold them all. I love it. That is that. That's fantastic. And and Jane, I have to say, this it's been a pleasure Thank getting you. to know yeah. you a little yeah. bit. You too, Abe. <laughs> and like I said, I felt like I knew you through the stories from yeah, Sharon and Denise. Right. You know, yeah. um, I have to say, on behalf of everyone at our chapter, we just want to send our thanks to you for for joining us today and for sharing a little bit about how you were involved with Make Wish. Yeah, and thank you for 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 everything for for everything you. you gave to us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. It was a gift to me to be there all that time. So thanks for including me in this. I'm really grateful. To our listeners, remember, you can always refer to our show notes for additional information about the topics we discussed today. We invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast to help us reach as many people as possible about our wonderful mission. Special thanks to the executive producers of the Wish House podcast, Jillian Rodriguez and Sydney Wolf. Shout out to Wish alum Brian Chin for providing our podcast theme music. And finally, from all of us at the Wish House, stay safe and healthy.